Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young businessmen, welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitaki, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 37. So uh, what I'm loving about all these different podcasts that we have, we have a wide range of uh, guests that we have come on, and they'll talk about, first and foremost, their story. I want to make sure that we share that with you. But what I think intrigues most people about the different guests that we have is the types of stories that they have and the things that we can learn from them or the things that they're doing. So my goal is to try to bring as many interesting people or people that I believe that uh, we can learn from or have stories that we can relate to. Today is no different. Uh, today, um, one of my listeners actually recommended uh, that I talk to this guest. And uh, he said, man, this guy, in terms of some of the things that he sees on a day-to-day basis and the things that he's involved in, uh, he's just got so many interesting stories and he's got some exciting things going on in his life. And he's like, I'd love for you to have him on the podcast and kind of share uh, his heart, his story, and kind of where he's coming from. So uh, I want to introduce today Danny Stocksill, uh, a respected community business leader, owner of two small Tulsa businesses, a devoted husband and father and champion of education, a chaplain to first responders and the public. And is, since 2011, Danny has led uh, the congregation at Brookside Baptist Church in Tulsa. So in terms of uh, a lot of different things going on in Danny's life, uh, I'm excited to kind of have him on because he's got some really cool stories to share with us and, and, and update us on some really exciting things going on. So Danny, first and foremost, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's great to be here, Evan. Thank you. So Danny, I gave a really brief intro uh, about who you are and, and what you do, but I know I left a lot of gaps. So if you could kind of give an idea of our audience of who you are and kind of fill in some of those gaps, as, uh, some of the areas of, of what you are currently doing today. Oh, who I am. That, that's a great question. I am, uh, depends what time of the day it is. I wake up in the morning <laughs> and I'm a dad to two kids that are trying to get ready for school and trying to run them out the door. Uh, I've got a daughter who is nine, a son who's 13. Uh, from there, I jump in, I put on my preacher hat, and I run to Brookside Baptist Church, and I uh, am over there for part of the day, leave that, and I'll run back over to our tutoring center that my wife and I have had since 2010, and then when that's done, I will put on my administrator hat and kind of work through the school issues that we have and own our own school and business, and then during that time, as I'm often just on call, I'll get a phone call and I have to put on my chaplain's hat to either go assist our Tulsa Fire Department or Tulsa Police Department, um, most of the time involving death notifications. And, and I help our police officers through that process and then with that relationship uh, with our officers and the community and, and working through some of those just horrific times that, that people are going through. And it's, it's funny that you talk about that part. We, we, we've had a couple of guests on and empathy has come up a lot of times uh, in the podcast and, and being a chaplain and, and really being there for people at, at those times when there's been a death that's happened. That's, I mean, that's, that's empathy on the highest level. 
It, it is. I have uh, always have, have kind of joked around with when I was a youth pastor, now with an adult, uh, as a pastor with the people in my church, I always tell them, I'm the last person you want to see knocking on your door at <laughs> two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't long after I told some of my students here at Brookside that, that they never want to see that, that sure enough, their father was involved in a car accident and was killed. And uh, as soon as they saw me walking towards their door, they, they knew what I was there for. So it was a, it was a rough day for them, but, but we, we worked through it. Yeah. Well, what, what I'm learning about empathy and, and part of this is, is just me as a person. And, and I've been able to share my journey with the audiences, just learning the importance of empathy and how it helps you relate to people, help, helps you kind of connect with them and, and being a chaplain in those kinds of situations. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that you have to have to utilize, but as you use that, do you become numb to empathy at some point? Does it just be kind of like, like how do you kind of stay tuned into that without it really kind of affecting you? Because those are some pretty serious conversations. They're very serious. And that's a great question. How do you continue to, to be empathetic to people and the needs when you see it over and over and over again? Because there, there's a point where you've got to shut down my feelings. I've got to focus on the, those people around me. And we've got an incredible chaplaincy core here in Tulsa. Um, we're a group of, of men and women that are volunteers and, and uh, the majority of us are ministers, and those that are not uh, called ministers and working on church staff uh, are counselors, and so they are very passionate about helping people in crisis. So we get to feed off each other, and we get to debrief with with one another, and it helps us helps us stay focused and real, and 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 keeps our empathy in check. But also, I think it helps keep our sanity in check as well. When, when we talked the first time, because when I was starting to kind of talk to you to get a, a better understanding of who you are and what you do, one of the, the stories you were telling me about how as a pastor of a church, you're always asking people to volunteer and you're always having volunteers to go out and do stuff uh, in those areas. And, and you're very involved in a lifestyle job where, you know, yeah. pretty much you're always on. And so um, one of the, the conversations that one of your, your people had with you was, like we get it, like this is your job and you get paid to do it, but we are parents or we're volunteers. And so on the volunteer side, we can't always do all of these different things. And so again, I think that's where the empathy kind of comes in where you had to kind of take that and listen to, and, and say, you know what, you're right. I need to figure out a way to, to be a volunteer myself. And I think they told you something like that. So if you can kind of elaborate a little bit on that story, because I want to kind of dovetail into that a little bit because yeah. I think it has some power to it. You know, I... I had the opportunity to uh, begin doing ministry really early on in my career. Um, at 19 years old, I started serving at different churches and youth ministry and have always been a guy that loves to go and go and go and would plan just all kinds of events and try to put as many events in the summer as I could with the idea that the busier I can keep the students, the more trouble I'm going to keep them out of, the more opportunity yeah. I have to speak truth into their life and they have the opportunity to build relationships. I was kind of calling out one of my sponsors. Now, picture this. At this point, I was probably 20 years old. Talking to a guy that's in his 40s. He's got three kids. He's working two and a half jobs. His wife's working two jobs. Um, he's one of my best sponsors. He never told me no, and I'd ask him to go on a retreat, and he just kind of looked and said, I don't have time. And in my arrogance, I looked at him and said, well, I think you need to get your priorities straight. <laughs> so here's this kid who's got zero responsibilities looking at a dad who's exhausted, who I think we were just coming off a, a trip to summer camp. And he finally looked down and kind of sat me down with a loving way 
uh, or in a loving way and said, listen, man, don't ever question my heart. I'm working <laughs> 70 hours a week. I'm loving my kids. I'm here because I'm dedicated to them. And he looked and said, your job as a youth pastor is to get paid to be here. You are a paid Christian. I don't know if you've ever heard any of your pastors say that before, any ministers, yeah. but, but sometimes we feel that way. We come to church and every Sunday morning I get there because I love doing it, but also I know that if I don't, I my paycheck doesn't show up. So he looked at me and said, I would challenge you to find something outside of church to get involved in. And I kind of listened and took it to heart. So at that point, I started volunteer wrestling coach a little bit uh, where I was. But but from that point on, I always really tried to find something that I could not only have a job and a career in, but I could make an investment into the community. And specifically looking for those things that no one else was doing or no one else wanted to do. And that's what led me to be a, a chaplain for the police department in 2003. Um, I was in Mississippi wrapping up my um, college degree there, helping my brother plant a church. And there was a, a, a sheriff's deputy who'd been going to our church for a while and had been involved in a police shooting. And man, he was struggling. And right as I was building that relationship, I moved back to Tulsa. So I got to Tulsa and started working at the church I was at. I made a phone call to our um, police department here, called TPD and said, hey, what do you have in, in way of chaplaincy? How can I get involved ministering to these men and women that are out there every day, just giving absolutely everything they have? And met a guy named Danny Lynchard, and he kind of pulled me in um, and explained what it was. And the majority of what we do are death notifications. I'm that guy that uh, when there is a traffic fatality, when there's a homicide, a suicide, when there's an accidental death, or even when there's a natural death and the family doesn't know what to do from that point on, um, I'm the guy that they call in. And either I am notifying the family of that uh, for the first time and breaking that news, uh, or they've been there a while and I'm just helping them through the next 48 hours of who do we call, how do we pick uh, services. Um, I tell you, I have absolutely loved being part of that. And and getting to meet the needs of those families uh, absolutely in some of their darkest times. Because mm -hmm. when a police officer's on scene, he's there to protect the public and make sure things don't go sideways, if you will. He can't show emotion, doesn't want to show emotion, doesn't want to get involved in that side of it. So through that process, um, and I take it all the way back, and I blame Ed Knowles back in 1995 for making me look outside this box. Um, but through that process of just absolutely developed a lifestyle and fallen in love with serving people and meeting the needs of, uh, of the people that I'm around. We talk a lot about servant leadership, you know, in, in this, because our goal is to kind of talk to that, that younger Danny, who was the youth pastor yes. at that time, like kind of help them understand that, you know, there's, there is a bigger picture here. And, uh, you know, I, I knew everything at 25. I, I had it pretty figured out, <laughs> or at least I thought I did. And I wasn't necessarily open at that time to that kind of input. So first of all, kudos to you for being able to recognize and listen to something like that, because I think a lot of times someone would have blown it off and just been like, Ed, you're kind of a jerk, man. Like I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm trying to help. I'm, I am like responsible for the, the spiritual leadership of your children right now. And, and you're just not getting the message. And I, I think it kind of came across in your, your first comment to him was like, you need to reprioritize, which yeah, I'm sure that went over really well, but yeah, it's always uh, good to look at a dad who <laughs> just finished a 12 hour work day. Who's coming in to serve pizza on a Wednesday night 
and look at him and tell him he doesn't have his priorities in line because I spent an hour and a half building this Bible study so these yeah. kids can know Jesus. <laughs> and uh, and, and it, it does. I it It's very easy regardless of the industry we're in, whether it's ministry or whether it's podcasting or marketing, to really begin thinking that we've got all the answers. And, and for me, I, I've got to check myself a lot. Even being a chaplain, I begin to if I'm not careful, I will think that what I'm doing is way more important than what it really is. And it's it's those people that you surround yourself with that will continue to check you or to, to check you and bring you back into bring you back into reality of of really how minuscule minuscule you really are. Yeah, and I think when we're when we're younger, we don't know what we don't know because we don't know it. And so Correct. it's 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 one of those things where we again as as the island of your knowledge grows, so does the shoreline of your um, of your ignorance. And it's just as you kind of keep going along with those things and you learn more, you get to the point where I'm kind of at right now is the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. And and it's it, it sounds cliche because I'm sure a lot of people have heard that. But as you get further into it, you're just sitting there going, man, I was floating through. I mean, I was just talking to a guy today and, and we were talking about as you gain in that knowledge, you have a different perspective now that you can that you can share that you would have never been able to share before. And I'm, I'm sure you being a chaplain and, and going through the things that you've gone, even as a youth pastor and as, as now as a, a church leader, it's all these relationships with people and, and how important having those good relationships are and being able to kind of, first of all, listen and understand to uh, their side of it, but then also trying to present a more well-rounded approach to it. And that, that can be difficult at times. It is. Um, and again, you, you constantly have to, to be aware, like you said, of those things you don't know. Um, I think one of my most recent examples of that was, again, being a chaplain. Um, City of Tulsa is dealing with, and has been for centuries, some, some really tough race relations. Yeah, um, and I was the the chaplain that got called out the night that one of our police officers um, found a car that was stalled in the middle of the road and got out and and went to check on that car and through a lot of different steps, um, wind up Betty Shelby wound up shooting Terrence Crutcher, mm-hmm. and as I wind up there on scene and I'm talking to the officers and kind of getting what has happened, I begin to to build the scenario in my mind and. And really just create this movie. So, and, and if you're not careful, you assume you know exactly what happened. Yeah. So as an aunt and a, a niece of Terrence walk up um, and I inform them and let them know what has happened. Yeah. They leave. And, and again, you, you're just constantly playing this movie. Well, two days later, as uh, our police chief and our mayor made the decision, hey, let's go ahead and release the, the video from, from the car. Tiffany Crutcher, who's Terrence's little sister or twin sister, comes in and and they're watching this movie, yeah, um, and watching the video of what happened. And you can imagine how how tragic that was. And I just remember sitting there at that point, thinking, "Man, if I could only talk and explain to them everything I know, they'll, they'll understand it better." Yeah, we left there and went downstairs, um, and we had all of uh, the leaders of our North Tulsa community that the our police department had invited in to watch this because really, and I think part of the wisdom of, of uh, our police chief at the time, he said, we need help to kind of mm-hmm. figure this out. And so they brought these people in and as I'm watching the dash cam footage and the helicopter footage, which we all see, 
yeah. or have all seen, I realized immediately that my knowledge of that incident started when I walked onto the scene and I began mm -hmm. talking to the officers and helping them debrief. But the reality is the people that were watching that film, their knowledge of what happened started back in 1921 with the Tulsa race riots. Yeah. So they're pulling in all this information of what they've been taught by their moms and dads and grandparents. And they've been, been given a whole lot more information about, um, relationships between our African-American community and the police officers. Um, and that was one of those times that I sat back and I just realized my job here isn't to explain what happened. Yeah. My job here isn't to go and make people feel better. My job as a minister, as a chaplain at that point, was just to go and listen. Mm -hmm. And I got to sit down and listen to the stories of dozens of people in that room. And then I got to go listen to stories of dozens of police officers that were in that room. And I was in an awesome situation um, just to be able to hear and absorb so much to where I realized I have no idea of any facts in this case. Yeah, because that wasn't my job. I wasn't there to collect facts. I was there to be a minister. Um, and I was the only one with that job in that room at the time. And what an incredible opportunity that is just to be able to listen. And, and that was that was a horrible situation. Uh, but to be able to talk and, and be be part of that, that ability to build some bridges back and forth and, and listen back and forth. Um, it was an incredible blessing to be a part of that within our police department and within our community. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the listening part because I think that that's one of the things, again, that when you're getting started, you, you, you almost want to try to prove yourself. You want to try yeah. to put as much stuff out there as possible so they can see how much you know or how special you are or, or in your case, like, I got this. I, I know exactly what happened. So if I just explain it to you, it'll be great. And I think that the dangers that we run into with something like that is that if we don't take the time to listen, then we're actually going to do more damage than we are going to help. And in, in some cases, and I'll say this, I know I'll speak for my personal experience. A lot of people in terms of building a relationship, that relationship is built more based on time and listening as opposed to you speaking. Correct. And so when you, when you want to create those relationships and when I'm talking, I, I, I relate a lot of stuff to business. So in, in business, if I'm talking to a client or whatever else, and in your case, you're, you're talking to somebody who's gone through a horrific event, the most powerful thing you can do is listen because as they're talking, it's that therapy for themselves. And in, in sales, it's, they actually begin selling themselves. They tell you the answers right then and there. And just by Absolutely. listening, you can actually process that and kind of give it back to them and say, from what you're saying, I believe you're saying this. And I, I've been in plenty of conversations where I have to say very little. And I, oh, I'll yeah. hear people say, come back and be like, that heaven guy is pretty smart. And it's not because I said anything. <laughs> it's because I listened. Oh, Absolutely. You know, I, and my wife and I have found that true within our tutoring center. What we do is, is kids come in and they're struggling in some subject. The manual we have says, hey, you test them, figure out where their deficiencies are, and then go in and tell the parents where those deficiencies are. And, and we learned right off the bat that we test the kids and see where they are struggling a little bit. But more than that, we need to listen to parents as they come in because the parents know these kids way more than we do. Yeah, uh, we, we get to see them maybe three hours a week. Parents deal with them constantly. And mm -hmm. so the parents can come in and talk to us about 
how their kids struggling and, and not only just academically, but maybe dietarily as well. Or parents will sit down and say, hey, we think that maybe this is coming from their dad and I are struggling or their mom and I are struggling right now. We're getting ready to get a divorce. And so here's what's happening. And um, even within education, whenever we take the time to listen to the student and listen to the parents, um, even the job that we do that brings in an income becomes a ministry and service that we get to really listen to those parents and kids and, and make a difference in, in their world. So even when we are the experts, um, it's amazing how many times that listening, you, you learn so much more than than you thought you knew in the first place, kind of what you said earlier. Well, I'm glad you brought up your wife too in this, because one of the, one of the things that I did want to talk to you about is uh, in this podcast, as we're trying to uh, put content out there and, and try to kind of, kind of speak to that next generation coming up. Uh, I, I think you're very uniquely qualified to speak about the importance of finding that balance of, of work and, and doing the things that you do, but also keeping your family important. And for me, I've seen uh, a youth pastor, a pastor role, and then and a lot of the other things that you, you are doing right now become the priority so much so that the family part struggles. So because you are in that role and you live it day to day, how do you find that balance to be able to invest in your family so that they can allow you to be gone at three in the morning when, when that phone rings and, and there's been an auto accident or whatever else? Where is that balance? Oh, that is a line I have stepped over many, many, many times. And I tell you, it's not the 3 a.m. phone calls that are hard that you've got to go out. It's those 6 p.m. phone calls when everybody's okay. finally <laughs> back and dinner's on the table or you're headed out the door to a baseball game. And the phone rings and it's, hey, man, we need your help here. And the balance comes from being able to continually have a relationship with my wife to where she keeps me in check. Because mm -hmm. just like as a as a 20-year-old kid and Ed Knowles looks at me and points his finger in my face and says, man, don't you question my integrity. And I've got to be able to step back and go, hey, maybe he is a little bit smarter. Maybe he's got a little bit more wisdom than, than I do in this situation. And it comes from a very patient wife that looks at me and says, all right, it's time to stop. It's time to give up the pager for a while. It's time to give back the radio because your family is struggling. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I miss those cues. There have been a couple of times that I didn't realize how stressed I was getting. It was, it's been about two years, um, but I walked over into East Broken Arrow and there was a father who had um, gone and, and killed his wife and his two kids. And I didn't realize how it had affected me. Mm -hmm. It was about two weeks after that, that, that I got a, a note from my then seven-year-old daughter that says, dad, we love you. And I understand sometimes you're angry, but know that we love you anyway. Um, and you want to talk about a, a man, a <laughs> knife to the back of the oh. deck and just twist, but I'm able to do what I do because I've got a family that's there that looks and goes, man, we get it. And and my wife learned early on, and I think service is part of my DNA. And she married into that, and she realized that going into it. And so she probably tolerates that a little bit more than other people might along the way. But she's also very quick, um, and she's got a ton of wisdom that to be able to look at me and say, hey, it's enough. You've got to put it away. You need to go really focus on some of the people that are alive um, and focus on those people that are surround you. So, um, but but that. You ask about the line, knowing that line comes from having people around you that can communicate clearly to you yeah, um, and being able to listen to them uh, because that's where that the true balance comes from 
my wife being able to look and say, it's enough. And me having the ability to look at her and trust her knowledge and judgment and love for me to go, you know, I may not agree with you, but, but I'm going to do it because I, I know you're right deep down. Well, one of the things that you said, I think is, is very subtle, but it's, it's actually part of the entire process. You said there's, there are cues. There are, there are certain things that happen that if you're not paying attention and you're not actively looking for it, you'll go right past them and not realize it. And then you have that, that note that comes or that, that hard conversation. Yes. And I think, I think that it's easy in, in everything that you do and, and everything that everybody does is to feel like everything that you're working on right now is the most important thing. And so when those little things come up, you're like, ah, oh, well, that was kind of weird, but I'm just going to keep going. It's, 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 it's having the, the understanding that when those little things come up to say, okay, that's a cue. That's something that I, I should not ignore and basically take it and analyze it and say, okay, maybe I am carrying a little bit more of this than I should. Yeah, and part of it comes from experience over the years, but just like any business, if you know where you're going and you know what your goals are, you can set up those markers ahead of time that you will be looking for. And so when it reaches, uh, when you get to that point, you know that now it's time to either adjust course, keep going, or fall back and, and regroup, whether that's within your business and you set the flags up, hey, we're spending this amount, I've budgeted this amount for research and development. I've budgeted this amount for marketing. And, and uh, you know that when you reach your limits, you've got to stop. Um, and if you're not getting the results, you've got to regroup and redefine. It's the same thing when you're, for me, whenever I'm in the throes of doing ministry and service and, and working, whether it's with the police department or I'm a volunteer wrestling coach, um, you've got to have that plan set out in front of you so you can follow your, your map to make sure you get where you're going. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, 10 years down the road, you find that you're burnt out. You're living in the bottle of a vodka bottle watching, you know, Seinfeld reruns every night because you know that George Costanza is your hero and you can look up to him. So yeah. you've got to be able to catch yourself before you, you get to that point. That was a very specific example. Right there. <laughs> I feel like you've, you've, George. You, 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 yeah, you've thought very, very deeply. About I don't know that if one. I've thought about it or I've <laughs> been there. But, you know. Well, I think we've all, I think we've all been there. And I think that sometimes that's what motivates us. It's, 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 we don't want to get to that point where we're, we're so unhappy with what we're doing that we try to find a way to escape. And uh, we talk a lot about, passion on the podcast. We, we talk a lot about finding our purpose. And it sounds to me like you found very early what your passion was, which is serving other people and, and what your purpose was. If you don't mind, talk a little bit about kind of that, that moment where you, where you came to and said, you know what, I believe that one of my gifts, one of the things that is just that makes me feel alive is being a servant to other people. When did you, when did you identify that and, and, and kind of walk me through uh, kind of that process where it kind of came to that realization? Right out of high school, my goal, first of all, was to be a fighter pilot. I, w- I was going to go off and I was going to make a difference and really not so much make a difference. I was going to wear the cool sunglasses, wear the leather jacket. I wanted to be Tom Cruise and Top Gun. Um, yeah. I had applied for the Naval Academy. I'd gotten an, an, an endorsement from, at the time, Congressman uh, Inhofe and had, was planning on going to Air Force Academy on a scholarship uh, wrestling and had talked to the coach and he said, hey, if you, if you can make it to the state finals, 
I got a spot for you and wound up placing fourth instead of first or second. So instead of Annapolis, I wound up going to Warrensburg, Missouri, and I was at Central Missouri State University fighting mule. Mm. Not that that's a step down from, you know, Naval Academy to a mule. Um, it's still pretty intimidating. It was, yeah. <laughs> you can imagine the, the calls as we ran out onto the wrestling mat to wrestle our opponents. Um, I, yeah, I can now. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had always really done everything I could to build myself up. I wanted to be that, that jet pilot. I, I wanted to be that stud athlete. And, uh, it was my very first match. I went out on the, the mat and, uh, guy grabbed my legs and I went to throw him and there was this loud snap. And all of a sudden mm. somewhere in the, um, in the gym, there was this woman or teenage girl screaming as loud as she could. Um, and after I kind of gathered my composure, I, I realized that screaming was me. Um, <laughs> and I had separated my collarbone, my top three ribs from my sternum, um, basically ending my wrestling career. I came back wow. home, lost my scholarship, and, and from there started doing youth ministry. I think even within youth ministry, I, I wanted to be successful so people would see me and people would look at me. And it was at some point during that time, I realized that that seeing other people's lives changed mm -hmm. um, was a whole lot more gratifying than seeing myself on the top of a podium somewhere. And, and helping other people succeed uh, became way more valuable than, than seeing myself succeed. Because the, the harder I tried, it doesn't matter how hard I work or how good I was at something, my success still only led to the success of, of one person. Mm -hmm. um, if I was the best youth minister, I was that best youth, best youth pastor. If I was the best Chick-fil-A worker, I was still, it was, I was the only one that was succeeding. So instead I, I began taking that focus and it was sometime after I got a, a little butt chewing from Ed Knowles and, <laughs> and my priorities. Um, but I began to see that, you know, if I work hard and I can see students succeed, then mm -hmm. all of a sudden there's five people that are winning. Or if I can work hard and see my team at Chick-fil-A succeed or the team I was working with at Jinx Elementary School and their before and after school program, then that group would succeed and really led me into a ministry service, uh, I think, lifelong passion of helping other people succeed. And, and really, my, my kind of mantra is meeting the needs of, of those people around me. And, and I preach on that constantly within the church. I think that's what Christ did within his whole ministry, whether he was healing a lame or healing the blind or raising the dead or feeding fish and loaves, he was constantly meeting the needs of other people. And so just began making that my goal and what I wanted to do. Well, I've never looked at it that way. And as you were saying, like, I, I, as you were saying it, I was like, oh, it makes perfect sense. And I think that's something that we can all kind of latch onto is it's not necessarily just about our individual success, especially in leadership roles. And we're in leadership roles. There's a reason that we're in that role. And it's not just so that we can look good. It's so that we can help our team enable our team to be the best people that they can possibly be. So yeah. thank you for sharing that because that, that right there really is, I think a secret to success, if you will, um, that can be applied, even though, even if you're not in a servant role where you're helping other people, I think that that can be something that can really help you see things differently. And I, and I'm going to butcher the quote, so I apologize in advance, right. but uh, I think 
it was a John Maxwell quote that says, if you want to be successful in life, help others be successful first. And by doing so, uh, they will help you become successful. And I think that as that's kind of happened, and, and I think you're about to see the fruit of that because you're uh, starting to launch a congressional race and all of that service and all of that helping other people is now something where you're actually taking it to the ultimate level of community. Is it community service? What would it be like? That, that's the goal anyway. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It, it's, it's how do I impact the most good uh, of people around me. Um, I, I've been watching Jim Bridenstine the last couple years and kind of watching what he does. And um, one of the things I've become most impressed with, with our congressmen are not so much the laws they pass and that they fight for, but instead all the good their offices have the opportunity to do. Um, yeah. I, I've, I've gotten to sit down with his several people on um on Jim's staff lately and, and hearing them talk about, you know, one guy's in charge of veteran affairs another one's in charge of um, Indian affairs Another guy's responsible for getting visas for people that need them. And another one's responsible for helping people through social security issues. And it, it's just an entire office that's built on serving the community. I think that's one of the reasons that he's been so beloved is because his office and he uh, really takes care of that. So, you get to to see the the C-SPAN or the the Fox News reports of when our congressmen they're on the floor of the House and they're fighting for something and they're trying to get their bill passed or they're trying to get a Supreme Court justice uh, seated. But it's that day to day task that they have the opportunity to do to serve so many people that really gets my blood going and really gets me excited about being that, like you said, servant of the people just on a little bit larger scale. Yeah. Bridenstine has set a very awesome example for us. And I think that what's so refreshing about it is that the climate that has been created in government has not necessarily been servant-based. It's been more policy and, and everything else in, in growing the government. So, um, I always go back to the quote from the Bible. It says we're in this world, but we're not of this world yeah. and things that are common sense to us, like servant, uh, like listening and being servants and helping other people. That's not normal in the world that we live in today. So what seems common sense to us is not common sense to other people. And that's what makes it stand out so much. Yes. Yeah. It's, we definitely live in a society to where the, the world teaches you from the very beginning You've got to be the best. You've got to be the greatest. And I, and I think we should. I think anytime we, we begin settling, we sell ourselves short. And I, I think we also sell God short. I think God's commanded us to, to be the best. You know, you constantly see Jesus exhausted, tired, but never stopping, never giving up. Um, mm -hmm. Even when he tries to push his disciples away and say, man, just give me, give me, give me a few minutes. You constantly see him going back and going, all right, I hear you. Let's keep going. Let's go work harder. So I, I don't think this, hey, let's just serve other people is uh, is not a permission or advocacy to say, don't try hard yourself. You know, the more successful I am within my businesses, the more time, the more resources I have to give towards other people. Yeah. Um, if I'm not doing what I've got to do at home, there's no way I can take four hours out of my day to go locate uh, the family members of someone that was killed in a car accident. Mm -hmm. um, if I haven't taken care of my business at home, I don't have the resources to drive um, all over Tulsa to go and find that. And so 
Um, I think we're called to be the best we can. Yeah. And in doing that, we have extra left over that we can go and share with other people. Absolutely. And I, I love how you talk about how it starts at home. That's really where that that leadership begins. Actually, it starts inside of you having the wherewithal to realize that you got to lead yourself first. You got to put yourself in that position and then it's in the home and then it starts to go beyond those walls. Yeah. And I think that it's, and that's why we talk about it. That's why we had Joe McGee on the podcast to talk about the importance of uh, your marriage and having that relationship with your family. Uh, we talk about empathy. We talk about leadership. We talk about all these different things because it starts inside you. And from that, it permeates to all the other relationships that you have. So Danny, first of all, thank you for coming on the podcast, sharing Absolutely. your heart with us. And, and thank you for your service to all the different things uh, that you're involved with. I mean, we didn't get a chance to talk too much about the, even the schools that you have that help uh, kids uh, get more educated, get get help with tutoring, but also transition from uh, different school situations. And so, you know, there's so many different things that you're out there doing and serving the people. I'm excited to hear uh, uh, and follow you as you you launch this uh, congressional campaign and you go out there. We'll be cheering for you for sure. Um, but I, I want to give you the last word. I want to give you an opportunity to kind of speak to the audience and kind of share your heart. So uh, with all that, what, what's one of the things that you want our listeners to leave with uh, from this podcast? You know, just as, as your listeners get to know me more moving forward, um, and especially in this congressional run, I think pretty much all throughout Oklahoma, you've got the basic playing field of, of, of most of us are going to look the same. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, all the guys that are running, we're, we're really close to the same age. We're business guys. We're Christians. We, we have a, a strong following heart of God. Um, and you won't hear this from many candidates, but I, I, I think that probably in a lot of these situations, these, these are really good guys that are running. I, I think Oklahoma is incredibly blessed right now to have the quality of men that are, are running. But in saying that, I, I think that in order to, to continue what we've seen with Jim, with uh, what he's done, we need a guy that really understands uh, what it means to serve. Uh, mm -hmm. When I was sitting there with Gabe Sherman, as I was putting all this together, he looked and his first question was, why in the world do you want to do this? Gabe's part <laughs> of Jim's staff. He said, why yeah. in the world do you want a job that, where you're going to be away from your family? And that's that's easy to say, actually. But then he, he pointed, he goes, are you really – are you prepared to not see your son play baseball at all during the fall? Yeah. And that's kind of a gut check. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> uh, are you prepared to miss those Tuesday dance recitals that your daughter has? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so we had to go back, my wife and I, and sit down with my kids and say, listen, if dad's going to do this, we've got to be on, on, we've got to all be on the same page. And, and so in this case, uh, it, this isn't just a, a Danny thing. This is a whole Stockstill family thing that whether it's a, a chaplain call, whether it's an extra two hours with a student whose parents can't quite afford the full tutoring cost, but we go ahead and, and cover them anyway, whether it's an extra hour at church because we've got someone in the church that is um, literally in their last couple hours and I need to be at the hospital with their family. Um, you've got this whole family that says, Hey, we get it. It's part of who we are too. It's built in our DNA. Um, and, and I think that service, just like any other area of business has got to be something you recognize, you continually check, but you also set a set your roadmap. So you know where you're going, 
You can check along the way to make sure you're still going in the right direction and set goals. So, you know, when you've got there, when you've reached that goal and you can celebrate that and then set another goal and move on. So my next goal that I've set is to run for the the congressional seat for the first district of Oklahoma. I'm excited about that. My wife's excited about that. And we are um, excited not only for the race, but but also for the, the end goal to see that when the votes come in, kind of where we are and, and how we get to celebrate that victory as well. Awesome. Well, thank you, Danny. And thank you listeners for tuning in. And we'll catch you on the next podcast. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.